morning we have finished up the series of messages, and I believe the pillars of our faith. It would be difficult for us to stand to know Christ personally. We couldn't know him in a saving way without this pillar of our faith. And this pillar is literally the cornerstone of our faith. Grace is the cornerstone of our faith. Had not it been for grace, where would we be? Where would you be now? Grace is the pillar that Christianity stands on. It's the pillar that reminds us that we can't earn our way to God. There's nothing that we can do to keep our way to God. It's all done through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone. And it's by grace through faith that we are saved. Think about it this way. Grace by grace we're saved, we're loved by grace, we're forgiven by grace, we're restored by grace, we're adopted by grace, we're graced by grace, amen? amen. That's the pillar of our faith, that's, that's who we are. We, we wouldn't be who we are without the grace of God. Jerry Bridges said this many years ago, I was in the classroom and him in one of my uh, graduate studies, he said this, your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace and your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. We need God's grace in our lives. Yet while knowing this to be true, and we know it to be true, we know it to be true in, in, in our minds, and yet while knowing that to be true, our humanness and our wanting to achieve and climb and be and be accepted because the world that we live in pushes for acceptance that way, we reject the very pillar of the foundation of Christianity, grace. But it's exactly what we need. In 2014, I was sitting in my office going through the gospel or going through 1 John, doing a series of messages through 1 John. And I came to a passage in 1 John where short and sweet, John said this, if you have the ability to help someone in need and you don't do it, then how can the love of God be in you? Meanwhile, what was happening in our world, ISIS was literally lopping heads off of believers in the Middle East, in Iraq. And many of these believers, who are brothers and sisters, were fleeing from northern Iraq. They were fleeing from, we would say, Kurdistan, some from Syria and some from Turkey, and finding their way into Erbil, Iraq. And I remember being seated at my desk and just beginning to weep and hearing from God, Jim, you need to go and help and rescue your brothers and sisters. Push forward, that mission was on our hearts, and so we did. We grabbed a group of eight men on our first team in, and we decided that we were going to go there, and we were going to help our brothers and sisters in Iraq. Now, there were many that were telling us we shouldn't go. Many even said, or few said, Jim, you're leading your church to a death march. No, I said, we're leading our church to a grace march. Our brothers and sisters need Christ. Long story short, we collected resources as a church, and out of that came resources. Almost a quarter of a million dollars came in, and we were taking resources to go to Iraq to find apartment complexes for all these people who had been pushed out of their homes because they stood for Jesus Christ. 
On this trip in, we were able to secure some some apartments, and we moved in family, hundreds of families into this neighborhood. We housed them, gave them food, gave them furniture for the rooms. We picked it out, and for six months, we helped them stand on their feet because of your generosity. But while we were there delivering food, we bought balk food, and our team would deliver it to people under bridges, people on the side of the road, people that were in these makeshift housing developments. And one of the places that we were in We found ourselves, I was there with our group of our men, along with Pastor Malah, and there were some Kurds and Iraqis, leaders of their tribes in this room. And as we were seated with them, they were expressing their thanks to us. Meanwhile, there was this young man that came in with his wife, and he was holding, she was holding a baby. And so we heard their story, and they told the story that that they had traveled down from northern Kurdistan. They made their way down to Iraq. She had walked as a nine-month-old pregnant woman, and the baby was just born barely a week or so before that. And we came and we gave them food. We gave them housing, and they were so appreciative because they stood for Jesus Christ, and they didn't reject him, and God provided. But while we were there, This man stopped and the room was quiet and he said something in Arabic to the translator that was in the room and I asked what he said. He said, number one, he and his wife are very grateful for Grace Community Church and for your generosity to help us. And he said, because your generosity, we have a baby here that has yet to be named. The child We have been such a rush to flee the country and and for the well-being of this child, we haven't named our baby yet. And he looked at me and said, I want you to name our child. Now, that's an important responsibility to name a baby. But immediately, the Spirit of God in my heart, it was immediate, name her Grace. Name her Grace. And so through tears, I looked through a translator and I said, Tell him and her that we would love to name their precious daughter Grace. And then I explained what Grace was. I said, can I tell you why? And I shared the gospel. I shared with this Kurdish family what Grace meant and how Grace saves. And So picture if you can, this child, I was thinking this week, this girl is seven years old now in Kurdistan. Imagine as she goes through second grade and and the teacher comes and they name the names of all these Muslim and Kurdish and Iraqi kids and they give their Arabic name and this cute little brown hair, brown brown eyed girl says, what's your name? My name's Grace. (laughs) And my prayer has been this, that because of her name, that she could take the gospel to the nation of Iraq because of her name. We have a photo of me holding baby Grace seven years ago, and I would love for you to see that if we can get that up. But all this happened because you gave. All this happened because you were willing to pool resources of a quarter of a million dollars together. And now we have brothers and sisters, and we've had five trips into Iraq, and I've been there, and on our last trip in, 
we gathered in a men's conference and we, we saw Iraqis and Muslims and Kurds and they gathered because they heard this group was coming that had rescued and helped their people and they were curious. They know who you are in Iraq and Kurdistan and we came, we had a men's conference and the gathering came, they brought them in by the busloads and they allowed me to speak in front of these precious men of Kurdistan, Iraq. And I shared the gospel and told him what grace is. And 41 Kurds, Muslims, Iraqis, gave their lives to Christ. And we can praise God for that. But why? It started with a gift of grace that we had received. And we knew we need to pass it on to others. We're about to jump into a passage of scripture that the book should have ended one chapter sooner, yet there's this addendum that the author adds because Jesus is on a hunt for a man that needs grace. Grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to ask you to stand here in the auditorium and in the South Auditorium and those of you who are watching online And stand, and we're going to read this out loud together. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And by the way, it says two other disciples were together. Pause. They didn't even get their name. Like, come on, John, at least give them their name. Read on, verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. You may have a seat. Let me set the context of this chapter, of this, of this passage here, if I could. It feels like, in fact, if you're any kind of grammarian or you're writing a book, it's like you're putting, it, the, the story should be over, but then you say, then another thing. In fact, look at John chapter 20 and look at verse 30. And if you have a heading in, in your NIV Bible, and by the way, these headings weren't in the original, nor were the verses. It was all together, but they have collected and, and put these in later. But in my Bible, in the NIV, it says right above verse 30, the purpose of John's gospel. In other words, this is why I wrote these 20 chapters. You feel like it should be over. Like, this is why we wrote what we wrote. And John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then it says in verse 21, afterward Jesus appeared. Peter has just failed. Give you the context. Three times he denied Christ. Jesus was crucified, Jesus was buried, and Jesus resurrected. 
So a few days, a week or so later, Jesus is on the hunt and on, on a walk appearing to people. He appeared to those on the road to Emmaus. You heard that a few weeks ago. He appeared to, to large groups. He showed Thomas that his scars in his hands. But he's on this mission to find Peter. Why? Because Peter is nowhere to be seen. Why? The resurrection occurred. You would think that Peter would be, yeah. Peter was living in a wall of shame and guilt and regret, and he had fled Calvary. He had fled Golgotha. He is nowhere to be seen, and Jesus knows it. And so John shows us in chapter 21 an additional truth of what Jesus is doing. You see, the whispers of self-condemnation and the worthlessness are surfacing in Peter's failing time. He believes he's not worth seeing Christ. He believes that his life is done. He has failed him, and he's nowhere to be seen. John writes, this Peter says in chapter 21, John writes, Peter says in verse 3, I am going out to fish. Why? Because this is what he did before Jesus called him to full-time ministry. This is what he did before he was a follower of the way. And so he went back to what he was good at. At least he thought he was going to go back. Isn't that what we do sometimes, though? Well, I failed as a Christian. I was going to go back to what I'm good at. <laughs> I know I can fish. And it says that not only did he go, but the other disciples went to him. Maybe, maybe Peter thought, if I could get a win, I get a boatload of fish, I'll feel better about the shame and guilt that's walling me in. Maybe he believed a lie that he could never be used by God again. Maybe the enemy was winning the battle with self-condemnation in his heart. Maybe the wall of shame was cutting him off from the truth about the grace of God. Maybe he felt like he just couldn't live up to the expectations of Christians. And maybe he could no longer stand the condemnation and the judgmental looks of his peers. And he says, I'm not going back to church. There's no way I'm walking in those doors. They know what I did. And so the voice and the whispers of the enemy were haunting him. This is Peter, who Christ would say, upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Maybe he felt like some of you have felt in the past, that you're no longer invited anymore because your sin was too bad for God's grace to forgive. Boy, sometimes we need to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. We are not as we should be, but God loves us as we are. And aren't you grateful for that? Amen. How many of you have been where Peter's at right now? The resurrection has just occurred. Jesus was good on his word. You would think that he would be rejoicing and dancing in the streets. The Messiah is alive. And he runs back to his nine-to-five job and hoping that no one would see him. At least he could catch fish. At least he could do something well. You see, he let the whispers of self-condemnation 
put him into a wall of guilt, and all he needed was a front-end alignment. We all need front-end alignment from time to time. Don't we hit the curb of failure and bump it? We can still function, and Jesus said, my grace will cover that wreck. Verse 3, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And then it says this in verse 3. Follow along with me. In verse 3 it says, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Isn't it interesting that even though he had failed, he still had influence? Yet the influence he's giving them now is to run from Jesus instead of to run to Jesus. Think about this. This is a critical point, and sometimes we lose sight of this. The book of Acts hasn't taken place yet, and, 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 and so the, the early church, it's a fledgling group that now the Messiah has risen, Jesus was good on his word, and now it needs some staples, it needs some men that will lead the way, that will plant some churches, it needs men that will take the gospel to the nations, and Satan is trying to wipe them out, and Peter needs to be one of those men, and Jesus knew it. This is a critical point in Christianity's history, and Jesus is coming after him with grace, because why? Because not only had Peter fled, many of the other disciples were running and going back to fishing too. And Jesus was saying, uh-uh, not on my watch. You need to be reminded of how much I love you. We often run from grace, and it's the thing we need the most when we have fallen. <laughs> if Jesus didn't show up, the church in Acts would look a lot different. The battle for Peter's life was in front of him. Satan was winning. And the enemy had lost at the grave. But hear me out. He wasn't finished. The enemy wasn't finished casting forth lies. He knows the end. He's read the end. But he was still battling, and he still battles today. He whispers to you. He tempts you. He's not done until he's thrown into the lake of fire of hell forever. And until he does, he is on a mission to derail the people of God. And he was wanting to do that with Peter. In fact, as soon as Christ was resurrected, do you know what cir story circulated? Well, look, look, look at Matthew chapter 28. As soon as he was resurrected, the enemy had this story begin to circulate in the streets. Look at Matthew chapter 28 and look at verse 11. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11 says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. What? Jesus rose from the grave. And then it says in verse 12, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers, they gave them what? A large sum of what? And they said, I'm giving you this money if you do this. Telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the what? money and did as they were instructed and this what what's the word story has been widely circulated among the jews for how long to this very day you see he was on a mission even though christ was resurrected he wanted to give a lie the enemy is the father of lies 
He's trying to circulate, and now he's coming after Peter because he's intuitive. He understands how valuable Peter is, and so he's throwing guilt and condemnation, whispering, you're worthless, you're no good, go back to what you're good at. And meanwhile, Jesus said, no, I called you to be my follower. I called you to take the gospel to the nations. And Jesus is hunting him down. How do I know that? Maybe you've never picked this up before, but Jesus was after Peter right away. In fact, look at Mark chapter 16 and look at verse 6. It's a beautiful picture of, of, of how right away, even after Jesus resurrected, one of the first people he wanted to get was Peter. Look at Mark chapter 16, Matthew, Mark chapter 16, and look at verse 6. This is where Mary and Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, were, were, were at the tomb and an angel appears and this angel dressed in white. In verse 6, it says this, don't be alarmed, he said, the angel, you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. And the angel said, he has what? What's the word? Risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Then verse 7 but go tell his disciples and who? Why do you think he said that? Because he knew Peter was walled in with shame and guilt, and he was running. He could have said, go tell all the disciples. No, but he singled out Peter because he knew Peter was regretting the denial of Christ those three times prior, and he needed Peter. He wanted Peter. He wanted Peter to know that he was still good to go and that the grace of God would cover those three times he denied him. So Jesus goes hunting him down on this shoreline that morning. We struggle with grace because we believe it has to be earned. <laughs> Yet the very essence of grace hinges on us doing nothing. You know what you and I offer for our salvation? Our sin. <laughs> Here, Jesus, here's my sin. I accept your free gift of salvation. What kind of God does that? Our God does. If we are not careful, we begin to believe after we've sinned the lie that grace has limits too. We think that our quotient has run out. We would rather run from God and the church and even our calling instead of being washed by the blood of the lamb. Jesus had just died for Peter. Think about this. He, had, he was just buried for Peter. He was just risen for Peter. This is only days after the resurrection. And the blood stain was still on the beams of the cross. And if you were to go to Golgotha, there was probably blood still on the rocks on the ground. And Peter is thinking, no, I've done too much. I've rejected him three times. His grace could never cover me. When you began to hear those words, that's a lie from the pit of hell called Satan. God says if we confess, he forgives. Not only does he forgive, he says he's faithful and just to forgive us. Maybe just the reason we don't feel forgiven is because of your arrogant belief that the bloody sacrifice of Jesus on the cross wasn't enough for your sin. Through the years, I've had people come to me and they'll say this, Pastor Jim, or just Jim, I've come to you. 
I've done this thing and I've asked God for forgiveness, but I don't feel forgiven. What should I do? Well, I said, well, ask him again. Well, why should I ask him again? Because the reason you don't feel forgiven and you're not accepting your forgiveness is because you're an arrogant person. What you're saying is that the blood on the cross and his sacrifice by on the cross wasn't enough for you. You need to confess that sin to God. See, it's an arrogant position for us to say, I can forgive someone else of what they've done, but I can't forgive myself. Are you telling me then that the blood of the lamb on the cross wasn't good enough for you? By saying I can't forgive myself, you are pridefully saying that his death on the cross wasn't enough for me. Then confess that sin right away. Every time we refuse to forgive ourselves, we are saying that his brutal, bloody, painful sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough for me. God's grace will hunt us down. Peter is running, and look again at John chapter 21. I want you to get the context and the setting and the time. In John chapter 21, it says in verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He asked them a question, too, while they're there. And look at verse 5. Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Isn't that what you do when you go to a fishing hole and you see someone fishing? And if I'm there, hey, hey, you catch anything? Why are you asking you catch anything? For us is we want to know what we need. What's your bait? And Jesus is standing on the shore. They don't recognize him. Hey, you catch anything? Why don't they recognize him? I'll tell you why Peter didn't recognize him, because Peter thought there was no way that Jesus wanted anything to do with him, (laughs) because he had rejected him. You see, he was believing a lie. So when he looked to the shore, it was like, that's just another fisherman. Like, he's just, he's fixing breakfast, and he wants to know, look look what I caught some. You didn't catch any, (laughs) did you catch any? No, Jesus was after Peter, but Peter didn't recognize him. Because there was no way he thought Jesus would ever appear after what he had done three times before. Jesus was on a mission to bring Peter back. We need reminded of this truth today. And when you're a child of God, you need to be reminded of it. God's not going to let his disciples roll off into the darkness. <laughs> he loves us. Besides, what loving father would just let his kids go after and run away after they've blown it? And keep in mind, Jesus has just died on the cross. Jesus doesn't dismiss our sin. He paid for it. One of my favorite accounts in the Bible, maybe yours too, is Luke 15. It's just three stories of the lostness. You, know, you, you have the prodigal son, and we love to go there and say, man, the prodigal son, he left, he screwed up, he, he ran away, and, and then it says all of a sudden while he was out eating and he realized what he had done, he turns and runs back to his father. But I love this story here because it's God running after the prodigal son, not the prodigal son running home. It's Jesus going after him with grace and hunting him down and saying, no, listen, you haven't done so much so bad that this dismantles you or, or knocks 
you out of the game. We need you back to plant the church. We need to build the church upon your name. And Jesus, early in the morning, he's on a hunt. And when he's at the resurrection and the angel said, make sure you tell Peter, because Jesus knew that Peter would run and he needed to know that his grace covered his sin. It's interesting that these career fishermen couldn't catch a fish. <laughs> now, I can't, but my son Isaiah can. <laughs> We've been doing a lot of fishing. Like, he drops it in, he must whisper, fish, fish. <laughs> Look, Dad, another one. Holy cow. What are you using? What kind of bait? Same thing you are, Dad. <laughs> but these were career fishermen, and they can't catch anything. You ever wonder why? He was going back to what he was good at so he could get a win. But his plans go south. But you know why? Because God often allows that to happen, doesn't he? He has a way to allow our plans to go south when we run from him. He will do whatever he can to bring us back, even if it's a health concern, a job concern, a relationship breakup, an income-related issue. We want to run and hide, yet his grace often allows complications to strip us of our abilities to succeed. Yeah, God allows us to walk through seasons, sometimes to discipline us, but often to bring us back and say, guess what, you need me. That's what a loving father does. He reminds them that he is there for them. Do you really think Jesus is just going to let you go when you are made in his image? <laughs> he gives them a fishing tip. They don't know who he is. Cast your nets on the other side. And what happens? They haul in so much fish. I mean, look at verse 6. Look what it says. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. He gives them a fishing tip. Does that sound familiar to those of you who know the Gospels? You bet it does. Why? Turn back to Luke chapter 5. The same thing appeared on the pages in the Gospel. Look at Luke chapter 5. And when did it appear? Look at Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 through 11. This is where Jesus called Peter for the first time to follow him. And guess what he did for Peter when he called him? He performed a miracle with fish. And look what it says in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let the nets down sarcastically. It says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Do you see what's happening here? When Jesus called Peter, he performed a miracle. When he's calling him again, what does he do? He performs a miracle. And why is he doing that? He's reminding him that he still has Jesus. And if you follow me, that the power of God will still go with you and is with you. Don't you love that? Like, 
He made sure he couldn't catch any, and he couldn't catch any before, performs a miracle fish, and now Peter's trying to run from God, and he, when he tries to run, he can't catch fish, so they get so many fish, 153 of them, and he says, guess what? I did it before when I called you, and I'm calling you back. That is called grace. Aren't you glad God gives us grace? Amen. He wanted Peter to know that he was not too far gone. It's a beautiful picture of grace. And whether you like it or not, Jesus is coming after you too. (laughs) Chapter 21 and verse 7, it says this, after he caught the fish, he said, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John writing this. I love how he talks about himself. Yeah, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. Think about this picture for a second. Peter could not imagine, but when he heard the voice and heard it was Jesus, Jesus still loves me. Jesus, I didn't think I could ever get back in your good grace. And standing on the shore is Jesus saying, Peter, Before I go back to heaven, I wanted to come to you and remind you that I still love you. And not only do I still love you, I'm still going to use you. And I'm going to show you this miracle, the same miracle that I performed when I called you because I'm calling you back. That's what Jesus does for us. So Peter jumps in the water. Can you picture this? They're 100 yards out. He puts his cloak back on because, you know, he's... He was probably sun's out, guns were out, took his shirt off, you know, just. (laughs) And so, out of dignity for Jesus, he put his cloak on. And and meanwhile, it says he's only 100 yards, so he's running. Can you picture the other, like, rowing his book? All right, Pete, come on. (laughs) The rest of the disciples rowed to the shore. Jesus' grace reminds us that we're never too far gone And grace strips us of our needless desire to make up for our own sin. That's what makes Christianity different. Every other religious system believes in a false God, and every other religious system has a ladder system, earn, 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 stay, 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 keep, 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 do good, get good. But our relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God, Yahweh, that rules the world, there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. He says, come unto me with grace. In fact, he says, in your armpit of sin, I will save you. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Then there's this other little picture that John reminds us of, and it can be lost, and sometimes we don't see the details, but it's good to pay attention to the details. In fact, in verse 9, it says this, when they landed, that's Peter and the men, they saw a fire of burning what? What's What's the word? Coals there with fish on it and some bread. You can lose this detail if you don't read closely. All through the Bible, there's fire... Mention, there's gatherings of fire. 
But there's only two times in the Gospels, in the Bible, where fire is said to be with burning coals or charcoal as we understand it. In John chapter 18, when Peter is warming his hands around the fire, in the ESV, they pick it up. And as it reads, it says, Peter denied Christ for the third time. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. It says he warmed his hands around the fire of burning coals. Fast forward to John chapter 21. Jesus is cooking over a fire of coals. Why? And I'll guarantee you that the fishermen were aware of this. He wanted to remind Peter, I believe, that you rejected me here by this fire of coals, but here I receive you back. It's called grace. What a beautiful picture that can get lost in this account. The relationship is not broken, it's still open. Read on as this account, and in verse 10, John records, he says in verse 10, Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, and I'm sure Matthew counted every one of them. He was a tech player. Anyhow, another story. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Come and have breakfast. God's grace gives us hope for the future and doesn't keep us buried in the past with our sins and our regrets. He feeds them fish to eat. Think about this for a second. Who do you normally eat breakfast with? People that you like. <laughs> you, 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 you have appointments, you eat with your family, you, you love your family, and when you have breakfast appointments, you often meet with people that you like. Jesus is eating with his friends, his disciples. The picture I get here is Jesus isn't pounding them and whack-a-moling him, but it's the picture of this Jesus is kind, he's gentle, and he's cooking them breakfast. It's not what you do. You eat with people that you love. You sit down and have a meal together, and Jesus is cooking them fish and saying, come, come. It breaks down all the defenses when someone is willing to cook a breakfast for you. You see, the Bible is not a story of the best people making it up to God. It's a story of God making it down to worst people. What's he do next? He takes Peter on a walk and say, Pastor Jim, how do you know it's a walk? Well, look at verse 15. Pay attention to the details. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. It's like when your parents say, Charles Shane Brown Jr., you know you're in trouble. Do, do, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Strike one is canceled. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Strike two is canceled. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
He said, Lord, you know all the things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Strike three, cancel. You're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And then Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. He's talking that he will die on a cross. You know what he's doing? He's encouraging him, saying, you're going to get back into this game. And not only will grace put you back in this game, but there will be a day that you won't deny me. You will die for me. Can you imagine the courage that Jesus was pouring into this man who had run from him? And now they're taking a walk together. And Jesus is looking. He's saying, you got what it takes. And you're going to get back in the game. And there will be a day that you will stand when no one else will stand. By God's grace. Read on with me. He says, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, what does he say? What's your Bible say? Follow me. He's kind. He's gentle. He's cooking them breakfast. And he's reminding them that they have what it takes. And he has what it takes to get back to the original calling that he found years ago and get back in the game. And later... Go to the book of Acts, Peter preaches, 3,000 people are saved, 5,000 people. Jesus was rescuing a man who thought he was worthless, but because of his grace, he put him back in the game. That's what he does for us. So how do you know it was a walk? Well, read the text. It says in verse 20, Peter turned, to picture, he's turning, and he saw, John says, I love how he writes in third person, that the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, like, hey, remember me? I'm the one he loved. Love was following them. This was the one who had leaned back, John, he's writing about himself, against Jesus at the supper and said, he takes him on a walk and he gently restores him back. Can you imagine that walk with Jesus along the road? Meanwhile, John's following behind He's got the report, so he was within ear distance or it was passed down to him. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Strike one, cancel. Strike two, cancel. Strike three, cancel. (gasps) Pete's getting back in the game. And he witnessed this humble, gentle, loving Savior taking a walk on the beach and restoring this man who the enemy was trying to derail with all kinds of lies. He restores him back with his grace and says, now go get him, Pete. Right on the heels of Peter's most disqualifying behavior, Jesus commissions him back. And instead of removing him as one of his disciples, he does just the opposite and gives him more responsibility. That's what God's grace does for us. Jesus wanted Peter to remind Peter that the gospel is a big dose of grace and that his sins had been paid for because he had just died for him on the cross. He wanted him to know that his sins were buried. 
He wanted him to know that they were put in a grave. He wanted him to know that, that, that the resurrection had occurred. And he wanted him to know what this meal was a reminder of the assurance of his salvation and the grace that he could receive to get back in the game. And that every intention that the enemy had had for him, that no weapon formed against him would ever prosper because Jesus wins. Amen? Grace is the one thing we need when we stumble and fail. It's a pillar of our faith. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And if we could, we would boast about it. A few years back, I found myself at a uh, conference, and I was asked to speak to, there were probably 2,500 teenagers there. But prior to this conference, there was a man in the 90s who had a band, a Christian band, and many of you probably remember, called the Fee Band, Steve Fee. Talented musician, godly man. And he would often come to many of Christian concerts, and he would lead worship concerts. And he had music that we, we sang, and there's some songs that we still sing. Oh, Happy Day is one of his coined songs. Yet something happened in Steve's life where he made a bad choice. He, he ran off the rails and he needed a front-end alignment. And, and to be quite frank, this sin caused him to lose his marriage. And he stepped away from ministry for a long time. And rightly so. And this man who was a voice to the nation who God had called to lead in worship and people would worship God and exalt him through his gift that God had given him was now pulled because of his sin. And so he was on the shorelines running from God and Andy Stanley reached out to him because he was part of his church, grabbed a hold of him and and surrounded him with some godly men and, and put him on a path to repentance and, and Steve was restored and slowly felt the call back. I was at a conference, this conference, that was his first conference back to stand in front and lead teenagers in worship. So it was a big day for him. That morning, my wife and I were at a bed and breakfast at this city in America. I was the speaker that day, and Steve was the worship band with me. And we were going to eat breakfast, and Ann and I walked down, and there was Steve Fee sitting in the bed and breakfast. And so we invited him over. Steve, come sit with Ann and I. And we saw this version of this man who was restored. We saw a picture of grace. It was beautiful. We saw the joy in his eyes and, and the repentant heart. And it was such a beautiful breakfast as Ann and I talked with him. And, and, and we knew that day I, I would go out and speak and, 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 he, and he would play. And, and I remember walking out and, and speaking and knowing that Steve's following behind. And it's a picture of God's grace. What the enemy intended for evil, God turned into good. And during this period of time, he wrote a song on grace. And it's a story of being restored. It's a story of where he was. And, and not long after that, he released this song. And we sang it here 
years ago on a Sunday morning for the first time. And we're going to close with that song today. It's him saying, this is what grace has done for me. And the truth is, it's what grace has done for me and for you. Lord, where would we be without grace? Yes, we would be in trouble. We would be headed to hell. God, I pray that we would be people of grace. It's the pillar of our faith. I pray that we would put away our desires to earn and we would just freely accept and we would bask in the joy of your grace. It's what we need the most when we stumble and fall. And you are a God of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.